from the internet, it's the Local Host Podcast with Mark Drew and Rob Dudley. Welcome to the show, Dylan. With me is Dylan Sheeman. So, a big background on, on you is, well, you're, first of all, you're the CEO of SitePen, right? I am, yes. Yeah. Hello, thank you, yeah. <laughs> um, which, how would you describe, it's a services company, right? It's- Professional services focused primarily on JavaScript, right. and we're a team of, you know, somewhere between like 30 and 50 people, so we're relatively small, but very experienced. Right. Been doing it for nearly 20 years. Yeah, because I saw that, like, my experience in SitePen is like ages and ages, like, okay. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I've been the CEO of SitePen for 19 years, right? <laughs> and I'm only 44, so I've been doing it quite a while. Well, that's a good position to be, well, you can't get any higher, right? Is I know, that... I keep waiting for this promotion, and it just <laughs> won't happen. <laughs> I need to make up new C-something-else yeah, yeah, yeah. titles or something, yeah. yeah. Well, you have to go, like, what's above C-level? Like, there's nothing above C-level, like, like boss of, right? Just... Yeah, mountain level? Yeah, mountain level. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Other puns? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but you've also got a, a massive background. We've had a previous episode that we're talking about JavaScript, and I thought we'd go more into it. And who else better else to have on the show than well, yourself? You have a little bit of experience in it. Uh, just a touch. Yeah. Just a touch. <laughs> because you've been, aside from doing SitePen, you're pretty well known in the community for Dojo, right? Right. So back in 2004, Alex Russell, David Chancellor, and myself got together and started a you know, library framework toolkit, mm. whatever you want to call it, called Dojo. And it's the longest lived, actively maintained JavaScript framework out there. Right. And so it's 15 years later. And we did a major rewrite last year that shipped finally after talking about it for six <laughs> or seven years. And now, uh, that's a hell of a rewrite after 15 years of, of, yeah. of code, right? I have this whole theory about frameworks, which is eventually you get popular enough that you get stuck. Right. You can't really change what you are without angering all of your users. Right, because and, I've been depending yeah. on that for right. 15 years. Right, so we really uh, had a long, long uh, cycle, and really what we found is that people didn't want anything to be different until suddenly they didn't care about old browsers anymore. And then suddenly right. the whole um, ecosystem shifted. So we sort of waited for Dojo to wind one to wind down, mm. and then during that time we sort of figured out what should a modern framework be, and mm. really sort of stepped back and said, well, we know we've got ES6 as a foundation, we know we've got TypeScript as a foundation, there's a bunch of modern web APIs, a bunch of patterns, we can do things really, you know, in a way that doesn't feel like there's this big overarching framework, mm. but that when you know you have these bits and pieces working together, you can effectively create something that is um, cohesive and intuitive and feels natural and ergonomic and that's kind of how modern dojo evolved that's awesome i mentioned this in in a previous episode which might have gone out or not which was that there was a sudden explosion of javascript as a programming language for the web now i realized javascript was a programming language for the web and i kind of blamed node but really it was like dojo and jquery that really made that happen, right? When you stopped worrying about the browser and you started worrying about the the functionality that you wanted to add to the front end. I would say the major inflection point was Gmail. So April 1st, 2004, 
Google announced this new email client that was a big single page application. And the big news was that it was really easy to use and didn't have ads all over it. And you got two gigabytes of storage space, which everyone right. thought was a joke. Right? Yeah. And uh, probably the second and How will I possibly fill this up? Yeah, <laughs> now you fill it up in a year. It's yeah. no big deal, right? And then also then Google came out with Google Maps shortly thereafter. Yeah. That was part of an acquisition of Keyhole. But um, really, they, they did this, this stuff. And myself and maybe a few hundred other people in the world had been building apps like that. But no mm. one really took JavaScript seriously as a language for building applications until right. those were released. It was mainly for like shiny things, for the cursors following your, your yeah. mouse, right? Or form validation yeah. or image swapping or you know basic stuff nothing yeah. particularly involved and we had already been working on dojo and right about the time gmail was announced and we released about a year later and it was really primed for hey i want to do something like gmail myself what would i use and your options were a couple of really boring um enterprise closed source frameworks mm -hmm. or this new thing called dojo or there was also prototype jest that came out that year they also and had google's one which was what they released at uh, Google's development, the but that was Quit or GWT. GWT, which yeah. was all Java. You had to write it all in Java, and that like yeah became that thing, JavaScript, and that was yeah. It was really great if you wanted to create an app that looked like Gmail. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's what it was used for. Absolutely, enough, right? though. Ironically enough, they did not use it for Gmail. Um, really? Gmail actually ended up using for quite a long time. A forked version of Dojo 0.4 called Goog, which was later named um, Closure, not the compiler, but the right. Closure JavaScript library. Um, and the reason they did that is that they wanted to use Dojo, but we had done a rewrite for 1.0, and they needed to do something then and there, so they used the derivative of 0.4. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I brought all this up, but like, <laughs> I didn't mean to bring it back down, down to Dojo. Wow, so ha so you've been there like a, a, from the inception of the, the kind of modern web, I would say, because even before that, there was JavaScript in Netscape uh, Live. What was it? The, the Live script was Live script, the name for it, which yeah. was uh, server side stuff, and then that kind of went away. And Netscape yep. Server, I'm going to get all this wrong. People in chat. Netscape Enterprise Server was this sort of collaboration right. between AOL, Netscape, and Sun. And That's it included JavaScript on the server, and then there was JavaScript on the client from roughly Netscape 2. Yeah. Um, I actually wrote my first JavaScript code for Netscape 2. Okay, yeah. So this was around 96-ish, I yeah. think. And uh, But really, the first eight years were like the dark days, <laughs> right? You know, your console was, you'd write a DOM object or a box in the browser and write exactly. to it, and yeah. you didn't have any, you know, introspection or call stack or anything oh, yeah. like you that. Wouldn't know, you wouldn't know what was happening behind the scenes no. at all. I mean, you'd have to be dumping that. You'd have to be inspecting yourself. I think the inspector really also brought JavaScript on its own. Yeah, Firebug deserves a lot of yes. love for that. that and my favorite Netscape 4 bug was this fun thing where you'd want to dynamically write a style. And back in the day, mm -hmm. you would do that through document.write calls for okay. style blocks because there was no DOM. Oh, okay. And uh, so you do a document.write with the CSS block, and Netscape 4 would randomly get confused and just spew out the raw CSS markup oh, really? into your page. And the trick was to split up the word style as separate strings separated by a plus symbol, and that would 
like basically fix the document.write call to not spew um, CSS like markup into yeah. your HTML view. It's just the weirdest bug That's ever. Yeah. Insane. I'm so glad I don't have to think about <laughs> those things anymore, but they're yeah. still stuck in my brain somewhere. And th- yeah, this is stuff that I miss out now. I mean, younger developers are like, well, okay, I have the, the inspector, I'm doing all of this. I can achieve what I want to achieve rather than having to the, like, well, will this work on, on, well, was it IE3 that was just. <sighs> yeah, IE3, that was a pretty bad browser as right. well. You know, and, yeah. people, and they'll be like, well, all of corporate world uses IE3. And you're like, why? <laughs> I mean, it's always an IE version until next year, maybe, when we're finally rid of IE forever. Uh, because is it Edge based on Chrome? I've been a... Well, IE 11 has been end-of-lifed for, yeah. I think, next year. Okay. Permanently. Um, Edge has obviously switched from their own renderer to Chrome, based um, implementations, and presumably that'll be stable enough that they'll just... Maybe they'll... You know, they, their logo looks similar enough that people should just use whatever the big E is if that's what they're stuck using. Yeah, it'd yeah. be fine. Um, but yeah, it's it'd be pretty exciting to say IE is no longer a browser that anyone supports. And now it's going to be the Safari Chrome Wars. And <laughs> Firefox. And Firefox, right? This right, might surprise you, but Firefox is my primary browser of choice. Oh, really? And um, the reason that I have a big heart for Mozilla, you know, mm-hmm. they sort of are the original champions of the open web they yeah. kind of coined that term and they are the browser that is not as commercialized they're not tracking you as much yeah and a lot of the things they do are, are actually fast or faster than chrome but chrome got this big reputation of being this lean browser now i look at my sort of activity monitor and chrome's got a thousand processes and yeah. using you know at least as much memory as my system provides <laughs> yeah yeah and um so what i actually do is i use firefox for all of my normal browsing because i really like the awesome bar it really remembers my history well okay and then chrome i have two windows open it's all my google docs i need to use for work and for fun and so i mean that alone consumes so much memory that I just keep everything else in Firefox. And yeah. It's kind of funny. I'm going to be like on the fence here because you're right, it uses up so much memory. But then I start thinking back to when we first got mobile phones or smartphones, right? And I was asked like, well, so how, how much, back, you know, how long does your iPhone 2 last or whatever? It's like, well, it lasts about a day. What a day? My Nokia whatever lasts a week. And you're like, yeah, but I'm doing much more on it. There's a glowing screen here and I'm doing much more on it. Which I think is in a way... Kind of the memory consumption of Chrome because like it's got like you got all the apps running it. You might have Twitter running it, which I have issues with. Twitter is not a good app. It seems to use a lot of memory. Um, but do you know what I mean? You're actually doing much more rather than yeah, you're doing a, a lot more. Website. But then I have all of these weird extensions that will like um, disable <laughs> a background tab after ten minutes from um, certain domains to try to free up memory. And I'm always running out of memory. And People will laugh, but I'm always having problems with computers, hardware in general. So I think Apple's replaced my MacBook Pro with the Touch Bar at least twice now because it got into a state where they couldn't repair it and they basically just said, fine, here's a new one. We can't figure this out. So it's pretty funny. That's, that's very funny. It's very funny because I've literally just bought a new MacBook replacing the previous one that I had incredible problems with. You know, uh, The USB-C drives were actually blowing up around it. Ooh. That's rough, yeah. It was like interesting, like going through like like bits of kit because I would plug them into the 
the USB-C drive and, and next smoke is coming out of my... And I thought I was the iPhone. only one that had this magnetic charm on if computers. It was a, I think <laughs> it was a, like 2017 MacBook Pro that were cursed. Yeah, pretty I think much. It was like, I think the new one, Touchwood, is, is doing pretty well and is working as expected. The other one out of the bag was just a little bit quirky. Dating all the way back to my Commodore 64, I've never had a computer last more than six months without a major hardware failure. Oh, okay, right. So this is your lifelong. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it's my charming personality yeah, or something. Yeah. But yeah, are you are you insulting your computers? <laughs> <laughs> I think Do I you just, like get it and swear it in. Maybe I just like shock them with their yeah, yeah. daily usage. I don't know. <laughs> Your code's so mean, they're like, oh my god, we must stop this, man. The joke is I work so much harder than everyone yeah, else, right, but obviously right. that's not really true. So. <laughs> well, let's go with that. Let's yeah. just say that you're the most prodigious coder around. But you have been, like, super prodigious. I mean, uh, apart from doing Dojo, you, for a while, were on the jQuery board, right? Yeah, so um, back in 2005, 2004, Microsoft sent Alex Russell a cease and desist over... The, previous project to Dojo, which was called NetWindows, okay. uh, over the use of the word Windows, even though it wasn't an operating system, and even though X-Windows predated Microsoft Windows. Right. And he, he got some legal advice, which was, you don't have the money to defend this, so even if you win, you, you lose. So he yeah. had to give up the name. And that's when we realized naming was difficult, but also that we didn't want to be legally responsible for anything that could go right or wrong with a framework. Mm -hmm. So with Dojo, we started a foundation called the Dojo Foundation. And over the years, it was a very minimalistic foundation that would provide legal support, marketing advice, but more importantly, be a sort of home for the copyright for right. this, the code. So if you were going to contribute to Dojo, you weren't just giving something to Alex and Dylan and we could yeah. turn evil necessarily. It was in a foundation that had set guidelines. Mm -hmm. and. Various projects joined the Dojo Foundation, such as Lodash and RequireJS and, okay. and others. And then, after many years, we said, this foundation stuff is a fair amount of work. We'd like to do more with it. The jQuery Foundation had their own foundation, and we merged to form the JS Foundation. Oh, okay. And then Appium joined, and Mocha, and you know other yeah, projects yeah. that were part of that or joined after the fact. And then recently, the, that, so that became the JS Foundation, mm -hmm. and then that recently merged with the Node Foundation to become the OpenJS Foundation. And the idea really is these foundations are more useful when they have more critical mass. Mm -hmm. The idea is we want to get people collaborating, working together, getting people together at right. events or you know. And there's massive overlap in, in in the different projects. Right? Absolutely, so it's rare. Like you're going to go like, oh, I'm a jQuery developer. I have no interest in Node. You'd be like. Right. In, in many ways, getting together with people and collaborating with them really humanizes the interaction, yeah. and a foundation can provide that support. There's also a bit of a challenge of projects don't increase in popularity forever, just like prices don't always go up forever on, right. on things. And so having sort of a, an ecosystem that can support projects even when they're not as cool or trendy or mm -hmm. popular is really important. Yeah. I, I went to a presentation recently it was, a, it was a developer the game development but there was a very interesting presentation by Pete Bottomley about what he called the long tail of development so you have like this massive spike of like hey it's Greenfield Pasha this is a new project this is all fantastic and then it kind of like goes back down all the way to the bottom that you're like going eh, you know this is not good but then it kind of spikes up and you've got this like long tail of people just using it it's just being used it's bugs are being fixed it's kind of like a very 
and being able to fund that. I mean, this is for game development. Yeah, but it's very similar to JavaScript frameworks. I mean, Dojo probably bucked the trend in that we've kept this long tail forever mm -hmm. and had a few spikes over the years based on major new changes. But Dojo 1, for example, still has more than 100,000 public-facing web properties wow. using Dojo 1. Right. Which that's you wouldn't expect given that it hasn't really been popular for more than five years. Yeah, and, and that's very interesting. They're still being used as they say in production and being still... Yeah, I was, looking, I was looking at the statistics with Built With, which is oh, yeah. a site that tells you what other public-facing websites use. And the numbers were about 400,000 for React and 100,000 for Dojo 1. Which to me is shocking. I mean, to be fair, most interesting apps aren't sort of your public-facing websites, right? Um, but still, to see that, I mean, you would assume it would be a billion to zero if you looked at sort of the way people talk about React versus Dojo 1 today. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get that with React. I mean, you're going to get the new kid in, in school, which is going to be Vue, I guess. And this, I've, I've even well, or modern Dojo, or oh, Svelte, oh, or Stencil, yeah, or exactly. I mean, something it else, yeah. What, what's... what's up there but talking about community you've been involved in the community quite a lot and now you're also involved in a lot of conferences which is where a lot of the community meet right yes so you've been at full stack for a few years have you been involved in full stack so full, we should say what full stack is sure so let me let me just step back and say i think the most important thing for the javascript ecosystem is community mm. and it's very easy to get into a well, I only care about this framework or I only care about that framework sort of thing. So when I was living in London back in 2009, I started the first active JavaScript meetup group in London, which oh. is surprising given there are about 50 of them now. And yeah. at the time it was called London Ajax, which is now a retro name. Right, right, And right. then we renamed it recently to London Halfstack. So Halfstack is both a meetup and a conference series. And that's sort of a troll of our friends who do full stack so right. full stack is this big javascript conference in london it's run by skills matter they mm -hmm. just had their sixth conference in london and they just had their first one in new york this year mm -hmm. and it has you know sort of five tracks 80 talks three days workshops it's lots of it's stuff a dense conference man. It is. It's, it's, i mean they use a different format than a lot of other conferences i've been to because their talks are about 20 minutes long? Are they half They're about 30, but some of them air a little shorter. But yeah. they found that the 45-minute talks just meant that people really only wanted to talk for 30 minutes and take 15 minutes of questions. Yeah. And so they, they shortened it so they could fit a bit more without the schedule extending into the late hours of yeah. the day each time. But, but the upside of that is that as an attendee, which I've, I've been a couple of times, wow, that's, that's a lot of stuff that you can A, attend, and get into your head much easier than like a whole bunch of one hour sessions. Do you know what I mean? Right. I do think as in general, the trend for conferences is towards shorter sessions. Right. And just because I think people's attention spans are not particularly long. And I mean, they do offer some workshops, which are a couple hours right. to try to, but that, a that's a different that. format. Right? But really I think 30 minutes is about the sweet spot. And for half stack, which is the conference series I run, um, we're in New York, Vienna, London and Phoenix in the next six months. So we've got a lot on our plate with that. Yeah. The talks range from 10 to 30 minutes and it's kind of up to the speaker what they want to do, but that's a single track, yeah. um, you know, very immersive UI centric JavaScript conference. The one in London has been in a pub for the past four years. And it, it, which has been a great venue because we've been in Truman Brewery for the last... All four years, four actually. Four years, actually. Yeah. Just different, different, 
different venues inside right. the Truman yeah, Brewery. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I was thinking because I remember what it was, but then it was in the in the on the other side. People, yeah. people on the podcast don't care about this, but just let you know, it's been in the Truman Brewery for the last uh, four years. It's been it's a oh, it's built as a, as a conference in a pub. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, for the London versions in a yeah, pub, yeah. the other cities don't seem to have like. The one in Phoenix is going to be in an Alamo Draft House cinema, which okay, is sort of a cool. brewery slash you know cinema. And the after party is going to include a showing of Hackers, the movie, and <laughs> have like retro tech kind of. I mean, damn, I'm gonna have to come to Phoenix. Yeah, man. I mean, some people probably don't remember that was Angelina Jolie's yeah. first major role right. as this hacker, and yeah. <laughs> you know she was probably With, 17 uh, or 18 years old at the time. Was it Johnny? Uh... Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, oh. he was. He was unheard of for about 10 years and then started getting big as an actor again. Yeah. And yeah. That, that, that was like, hack the Gibson. Yeah, hack the planet. Hack the planet. <laughs> I, I still love that movie. I don't care what anyone says. Oh, it's it's not held up well, but it's still very entertaining. Yeah. Our kind of sister podcast was We, we Drink and We Know Things, which is the, the other host, who's not here, uh, Rob Dudley. They actually went through hackers and it's kind of fantastic to... to they go through movies and the tech be kind of behind them or oh nice or parallel to them so for example they just did interstellar and they might be talking about black holes like right movies, right that's cool uh, and one of them was hackers and it was it, it, <laughs> that one's probably got a little bit less science behind it than yeah, interstellar yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean yeah but they did have really good references to a lot of real hackers which you know talk about the blue books and, and, and yeah. the, the whistles that you could do for the tone Squeals what I love about movies about hacking is how they try to visualize the data and the computers like you're right. walking through them or and even Interstellar has this model where the guy's walking through time yeah. trying to find the, the right spot to communicate yeah. with his daughter or whatever the tesseract and, yeah yeah. I think there's a tough thing in movies and in anything because they're trying to get into the developer's mind and trying to show in a visual way because otherwise it's very boring the concepts that you're trying to solve, right? The, the yeah, and just showing a person sitting at their computer banging on it for an yeah. hour looking wouldn't make for good entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> like What's looking at era? the console, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's like that's you're not gonna get a Grammy or, or yeah. no, no. Well, the Matrix probably made cool f code feel kind of cool, but that was yeah, just the blonde that. brunette. Yeah, uh, they, they they said like this is you know what we see, but that's what we feel, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, but whatever. Like I think the 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 main uh, film that we should attribute to is Sneakers. Oh, well, we Robert thought about Redford. Sneakers for our after party, yeah. but the ginger is evil in that movie, and that's not <laughs> acceptable for myself. So had to pass on Sneakers for yeah. the after party. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I, I, I have, not, have not remembered all of that. <laughs> well, it's Robert Redford, right? Yeah, and he's yeah. kind of evil at the end. Spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the movie in 25, 25 years, years yeah. right? Sorry. Like, the statue of limitations on spoilers yeah. is way out there. But you've been. But the half stat, so going back to half stat. So it was in London, it's been in London for five, six years. This will be the fifth year. Fifth year, right. Mm -hmm. But now you're moving. You did. You're about to do New York, or you did? Yeah, New York is on August 23rd. Yeah. Uh, Vienna will be on September 19th. New York will be on November 22nd and Phoenix will be on January 17th of early next year wow. and uh, mostly it was just people asking so I lived in London before but now I live in Phoenix so it was a no-brainer to have one in Phoenix yeah. um, a great co-organizer in Vienna asked me to do it there and 
In New York, we have um, actually space at American Express. They have this beautiful conference room on like the 40th floor overlooking the Statue of Liberty. And I met an engineer from American Express. He said, we'd love to host your event. I said, great. And uh, so it'll be a different event, but it'll still have the same vibe of fun, engaging talks, you know, not a low pressure environment, very open, friendly community. There will be drinks if people want to drink, but it, you know we're not going to lose the spirit of what makes the conference. But kind of localizing it for each different yeah. culture. Yeah, because New York has, has got a massive development community. I mean, it's just huge. It is. I think it's yeah. only second to San Francisco, really. Probably. Yeah. I mean, okay, we've got a lot in London, but then you've got. And there's a lot more people in New York than yeah. there are in San Francisco. Oh, really? I, I, I don't know about And the that. population size, and New York's one of the largest cities in the world, and right. by far the largest city in the U.S. San Francisco's actually only about 10th in the metro area population, okay. but, of course, very concentrated on tech. Yeah. So I would say the number of people who claim to be developers is probably roughly the same between the two cities. That's a guess. I don't know, if, I don't know that based on fact. Well, that's, that's going to be a good one. And then the, then you've got the Vienna one, which is, yes. now that's interesting because it, it's like London, New York, Phoenix, Vienna. Well, I kind of felt like I didn't want to just pick cities that already have great conferences, right? right. Like New York and London are big enough. They can handle another conference without a big deal. Mm-hmm. But Phoenix, the last time it had a big JavaScript conference was JSConf US in 2012. Okay. And yeah. so, it's about time. It's like yeah, it's, it's due. And actually Phoenix has received by far the best reception in terms of early ticket sales and people wanting to speak and whatnot so oh, it's been so. a big hit and Vienna you know we felt like we didn't have anything in mainland Europe yet mm-hmm. and uh, mostly it was a function of I went and gave a meetup talk in Vienna last year like 120 people came out for the meetup and it wow. seemed like they have a great developer community like, so really why not good reception man. yeah so that's fantastic any any ideas of like maybe in Asia like we have Australia. a request to have half stack for Tel Aviv Cornwall, which doesn't quite fit in, Moscow, Berlin, Charlotte, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., Melbourne, Australia, and New Delhi from people who've asked. Um, Obviously, we can't do 100 events a year, but we may grow to maybe 10 or so over the the planet. I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, part of what I've been told is what makes the event really good is how we plan it out and so we pick a very deliberate set of talks in a particular order most conferences just find great speakers they each speak for 30 minutes or an hour they put them on stage we really try to make sure that like we don't have duplicated content and that we have them in the right order it's it's sort of like a a really good movie has like a crescendo of emotion and you have these ups and downs you can't just be super up all day or super down all day you kind of have to have this ebb and flow to make it have some tension and have a, yeah. a nice story and while it's not the same as a movie our speakers are kind of organized in that way so we think that's really special and then we just kind of set a tone of this is going to be a really amazing day because we've put a lot of thought and attention and care into the conference and i don't think you could really franchise that because they need to know uh-huh. some franchisees who don't get it maybe they would try to like you know, milk it for as much money as they can. You know, we're we're very much about an authentic experience for our attendees. So there's no vendor booths. We don't sell our right. information to attendees. I mean, to our, our attendee information to our sponsors, yeah. right? It's just, yeah, there are sponsors, but they're there to make the attendee experience better and provide value. And so it's more of an, you know, if you want to sponsor Half Stack, 
you get the benefit of being associated with a really high quality, nice yeah. event, but it's still fairly affordable. We want it to be, you know, approachable for attendees and for sponsors. Uh, big uh, full disclosure: my company is one of the sponsors of of Halfstack, and all of this is true. We don't get access to any of the data. It's not, it's not about it's not about exploiting the attendees because they, they've paid the, the yeah the, the attendee is the customer yeah and there's a know, customer they're it's not like, the product being exactly, sold to right and I mean in a world of GDPR and the Facebook data scandals and everything it feels like we just did the right thing all along yeah. which is nice rather than having to change to fit into this way the world is working right and yeah so like all the years I've attended you have got this and that's a good way to, to describe it like you, you have like different talks some are, are, are fairly technical and then you've got some that are like, well, okay, look, there is JavaScript behind it. I'm not going to show you how to do it, but here's some music. But like, Yeah, the talks Ruth, tend to be more about what you can do with the web. Yeah. Yeah, you want to see how you did it, but it's mostly about the what you can achieve. So go read the documentation to find out how, yeah, any of the details. But, like, go read a blog post or, or docs if right. you want to know the exact details. I'll point you in the right direction, but now let's see what we did with it. Yeah. So in the first year, Ruth John, like, created this music demo with visualization and she had everyone pull out their phone type in their github handle at a url and they were presented with a beatbox like two buttons on their phone and told to turn their volume up and then she had a usb midi turntable and she was mixing music and on the screen everyone's github avatars were popping up and down right. like an equalizer kind of visualization and the whole room just had music erupting yeah. and that was kind of the close of the conference and it was amazing last year I gave a talk called Cats versus Dogs, right? And yeah. it was a short talk, but it was the whole point of it was we get into stupid debates like tabs versus spaces and, and, and like the real debate should be whether you use cat gifs or dog gifs yeah, yeah. In, <laughs> our, in our GitHub comments, right? And I had a dog mask on and my colleague had a cat mask on. So we solved the problem like real engineers do, which is we created an app that was over-engineered. It had web animations and web audio and it was a PWA and it made sounds and you could speed up or slow down the sounds. The whole room is erupting with meow, 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 woof, 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 woof. <laughs> and then the dogs won and then suddenly two minutes later for a conference of 160 attendees, cats had 500 votes. So, you know, it was the classic game yeah, theory yeah. and fun. But, the, you know, what you'll notice is we rarely have a talk about a particular framework at, right. at half stack because it's no, not I about the, the debates. It's not necessarily about how you did it it's about what you can achieve with the platform and right i don't think I, I remember any time that we've gone that i've attended that we i can't remember for, i haven't come out there going oh this is a framework i want to use or is it, i've yeah. always come out very invigorated about what the potential uh, the potential of it yeah. you know like especially with bruce john's talks it's always been super creative and one year they had bluetooth buttons that that were around the place that She'd hidden them and you had to come press them if you found one. And, and then she did some data visualization and music with them at the end of the day. Yeah. And um, yeah, and she'll be in New York this year actually right. as well, giving a um, the web is your platform talk or something like that. It should be pretty oh, yeah, fun. Cool. And uh, we have one person who's doing a talk on um, augmented reality hand puppets. Like, it's just, okay. I don't know. I mean, that, it just sounded cool. Yeah, and um, yeah, just a What's interesting is last year was the first year where I felt like there was a talk, there were so many good proposals that were well suited for half stack that I had to turn some away. In the past, it was more like I had to say, 
this is an interesting talk, but what do you think about morphing it into this so it's okay. right for our audience? Well, now people are, uh, now, but now people know about it, and they're proposing the most creative, fun talks I've, I've ever it's seen. Fantastic. So it's really fun. Yeah. It sounds like it fits in well uh, with the future sync because I, I presume future sync is because you were there this year, right? I was. So future sync is done by Tony Edwards and yeah. some, and. And he's been in for every year. He's right? attended all the half stacks and he um, gave a talk last year right. where he used speech recognition software to detect rap lyrics. And what he found is that all the auto-tuned music didn't work so well. But then when he live rapped and he was quite good, yeah. the software did very well picking up the actual lyrics he was speaking, yeah. which was really fun. And so he invited me to speak at FutureSync this year and I gave a talk on the future of the web platform. But he's actually the one pushing to have half stack come to Cornwall next year. So. Because weirdly enough, that part of, of England has got a massive thriving tech side. It does. Which feels very left out because it's south southwest. Just England. far enough from London to not want to come to London for every conference. Because right. it's a good three to four hour yeah. or longer train ride. And yet there were three hundred people at his yeah. conference, which was amazing. Yeah. And all very passionate and very excited about tech. What the year that I went a couple of years back, they had the conference and it was like had different tracks, but not as a track of it, but by the side of it, that whole game develop game jam happening like next door to it, you know. So like you could take a break from the conference and go and look at all these games being developed next door. Yeah, you know, it's like it, it, it's it's super motivating just seeing all this stuff happening down there. So I think that's a really good area, an, an untapped market, I would say. No, absolutely. I was very pleasantly surprised. I gave a meetup the night before the conference, and that was well attended, and met a number of great people and engineers, and just had a lot of great discussions. It was one of the more fun conferences I've been to where I wasn't you know, in charge of it, where I just got yeah. to go and speak and have fun, and yeah. really enjoyed it. Do you, do you go to many conferences just as an attendee? A handful. Like I, yeah. We are sponsoring JSConf this year, right. a site kind of sponsoring it. And um, last year I spoke, but this year I'm just attending, and uh -huh. but we're sponsoring, so um, that'll be interesting. I went to QCon New York last month as an attendee, which was yeah. fun. So it is nice to not just, like, when I go to conferences and I'm speaking, I like to be there for the entire conference. Mm -hmm. Some people, they go, they speak, they leave. Yeah, I've and seen, sometimes I feel a little bit like, wait. And I don't really understand the point of that because I, I don't think the talks are actually the most important part of the conference. I think the actual hallway track yeah. and meeting people is why I go. I want to mm -hmm. engage the community. But other people are more introverted or they have work to get done or it's just bad bad timing for I them. I know there's a lot of sponsors tend to do that. They, they'll fly in the speaker, the evangelist, quote unquote, and they'll do the talk, the keynote or whatever, and then they fly back out because they're going to another keynote. Yeah, which I guess is a way to raise brand awareness, but yeah. to me, the whole point of it is to make meaningful engagements with people. Yeah. So, you're on a podcast at the moment, but you also are on another podcast. So, SitePen, my company, has a podcast called right. TalkScript, which okay. is, can be found at TalkScript.fm, and it's a lighter look at tech, I would say. Okay. Um, for the first year or so, one of our co-founders decided it would be funny to make fun of Trump in, in some ways yeah. but then Trump got elected so he decided that humor was no longer no longer funny um, it's like here you know like there's yeah. comedians going like we're not going to do jokes on Brexit because like literally everything has been tapped yeah yeah, yeah. 
And uh, but so we've had a lot of great, um, we, we interview speakers at some of the conferences we attend, but we also get a lot of great people on. We recently had like one of the people who works on um, Ionic Stencil on, and we had Alex Russell on an episode talking about sort of the future of the web platform. And we had um, some people from Bloomberg on talking about um, private class me- you know, methods and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So really we just try to get a good mix of our own people plus interviewing people okay. throughout the web. And, yeah. and this is a weird, weird question. Do you see, how do you see that as a, as a business owner side then? Do you see that as advertising? Do you see that, do you see that just, or, or a better way to motivate employees and all of the above? Probably all of the above. I don't think it's a direct sales channel and it right. doesn't need to be, so it's mm-hmm. not overly commercialized. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned that we sponsor it, but you know, it's not a site pen ad. It's not yeah. selling site pen services. If you need any services, yes. <laughs> you know, and I think, I don't think that would work in that format. Like on our blog at the end, we'll write a, a couple sentences that says, you know, if you want to do what we talked about in this article and need help, we're there to help, yeah. which is a natural progression. But yeah. the point of the podcast really is to engage with the community. Yeah. No, just what, I was actually asking that for me because, you know, we're doing this here, but and I always feel that podcasts, blog posts, you know, like anything that you're putting out there for the community should be because as a company, you want to do that. As a, as a company, you want to show that. Yeah. And it's not a self-reflection. It's a... Probably the most annoying thing that happens as a result of doing these is people reach out to you asking to write a guest post or be uh, a guest on your podcast. Hi. Like, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I'm not going to increase your SEO and sell out my brand at the expense right. of to get some free content that's going to be terrible. Yeah. Uh, and that's a real rampant thing in the industry. And yeah. the, the spammers have gotten really clever with that. And like yeah. to the point where you just pretty much have to say no to everyone because you can't let the one legitimate one through. At, at the risk of you know it being spam, but uh, we've let the I've let the re- legitimate one in. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you're well, the true good. one, <laughs> Dylan. If anyone wants to get hold of you, which is the best way to get hold of you? So I'm on Twitter. I'm Dylan S. D Y L A N S. Yeah, look at you with your good uh, easy to find. Yeah, yeah. or um, it, my email is pretty easy to find as well. Um, Dylan at sitepen.com. And uh, for all these conferences, such as all the half stack ones, is like half stack. Huffstackconf.com, and then it links to all the different cities. All the different ones, because like yeah. if you're in that area, you should go and do them. Hopefully, yeah. we'll get this podcast out in time, uh, so that people can attend. And if not, it was an awesome conference, and you just missed out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, you can get hold of us at show at localhost.fm, or you know, if you can guess our Twitter handle is localhost.fm. <laughs> thank you very much, Dylan. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye.